Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Like I've said before, no one likes to be wrong. It can get downright embarrassing. So today, I thought we'd talk a little bit more about some of the myths. These are facts that people feel are true, but really aren't based in reality if you dig into the context, if you dig into the history of that fact. There are many myths when it comes to religious liberty, and I've asked Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, to stop by and talk to us about how we can identify fact from fiction in this area, and he can give us some words of wisdom so that we can go out among our fellow man and woman a little more informed about what's true and what isn't. First, Lincoln, i got to ask you this. I, I get this a lot. A lot of people say, okay, my religion, how I worship, is safe as long as I don't break any civil laws in this country. Is that a fact or is that fiction? Well, it's, it's certainly a fiction because history has shown that, that that's not the case. Mm. The Jewish identity in Germany, of course, was more than, than a religious faith because most of them were not practicing Jews. But I think it illustrates what you just said, because for years before World War II, it was actually uh, said and written about at great length that that was the most benign country in Europe for Jews to live in. Hmm. The benign country in Europe, in Germany. Yeah. Well, I mean, they tried to exterminate them. Yes. The fact that they were within the law didn't give them ultimate security. <laughs> yes, it's hard to know where to take this. But we shouldn't use legality as the parameter for our Christian faith. I could almost hmm. turn it on its head. It may be in certain circumstances that to live your faith correctly, you have to disobey the law. Hmm. And if practicing your faith meant breaking the law, so be it. I don't have a problem with that at all. I don't even have a problem with a jihadi that believes that he has to cut off heads for his faith. You better clarify that, Lincoln. Well, I'm about to, because what will happen then, the law will come down on him hard. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> Jesus told his disciples that all who live a godly life will suffer persecution. Mm -hmm. It's a great uh, virtue that in the United States, those subscribing to uh, Christianity, certainly, and most other mainline religions will not be persecuted. Mm -hmm. The state is determined to support and encourage their belief. But people are called by conscience to any number of things. Jehovah's Witnesses had a, a problem a while back. They, they would withhold treatment to their children. Most thinking people in society know that this is irresponsible and, mm -hmm. and that we need to take steps as a society to stop the children being harmed by the parents' attitude. There was a case where the law intervened. But I wouldn't take away the right of the parent to think that. Mm, okay, okay. In that particular okay. belief. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying about jihadi. I mean, obviously, the, the, the form of jihad that's been advanced, and, and it, it's spoken about in the Quran, but it's not the default setting for all Muslims. They, they should be able to uh, uh, internalize these, these struggles and, and not act them out in violence. But if somebody is drawn by their conscience, so be it. They're following their conscience. But they are going to find the law is harsh against them. Mm. And I would never argue that the law should do otherwise because there are certain civil constraints that all human beings, all fellow creatures live under. And, and of course, they also agree with basic uh, religious uh, laws like the Ten Commandments. You shall not kill. 
just because someone's faith calls them to do it is not going to suspend a civil obligation. But if they want to hazard that in their faith, so be it. This is interesting because you're saying that civil law sometimes trumps, and it should trump, religious laws. Oh, all the lawyers that we deal with understand that. That sort of thinking lends to a clause that I don't like, but I know that it's logical. For example, on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act Mm -hmm. that was much cited recently, uh, I think, on the uh, Hobby Lobby case. There's a clause in there that says you will get this allowance unless there is a compelling governmental interest otherwise. Hmm. Hmm. I don't like it because politicians are opportunists. Nearly always government thinks that it has the compelling interest in the situation. (laughs) But the principle is plain enough. There are cases where someone's conscience, someone's religious convictions carry them into conflict with the public security and the public. I'm hesitating to use the public good because that's another problem. Right, exactly. exactly. The common good is a is a model that's developing that I, I think is dangerous because it can be used mm-hmm. gratuitously to restrict religious expression, mm-hmm. just like the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day said, it's better than one man that die than the whole nation should perish. Mm-hmm. But there is clearly a model where public safety and the free interchange between uh, civil citizens cannot allow someone to use religion to disrupt that. Like, for example, you cannot, you cannot allow someone to use their faith to come into your home and harangue you at mm-hmm. your breakfast table. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. everyone understands that. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be restricted. And if someone persists in that, they will be fined or put in jail. These are the practical considerations of daily civil life. But I don't deny the principle, if someone is compelled to do that, fine, they will pay the penalty. I'm beginning to see now why you have said over and over in this program how dangerous it is when civil law and religious law combine, when religion becomes the law of the land, because then there's no, there's no safety net, there's no check and balance. There is simply Absolutely. one person's belief driving everything they do, and they're completely separate from the law because they are the law. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. And, and when you're dealing with religion, you're usually dealing with some sort of interpretation of the divine will, but God's not in the habit of, of appearing plainly before all people. So what it translates into, if you've got civil and religious law combined, you've got a civil ruler mm. telling you as God what to do, mm-hmm. and it usually mm-hmm. leads to persecution. Mm-hmm. When you have a church leader who may do that, you've got a Jim Jones, for example. Yes. Well, maybe not a good example because he went somewhere where the law couldn't chase him much. Yeah. But those people are restrained in their crazy interpretation of religion and abuse of their fellow uh, credulous uh, believers by the arm of the law. 
And Paul says, you know, the, the civil ruler exercised the sword not in vain. I, I don't like that taken to its limit that whatever the state says you do mm-hmm. in the faith perspective. But there is a, you're right, it's, it's, in some ways it's a check and balance between rational civil needs and the, the call of the spirit and the obligation to follow your conscience. And this brings us to another myth uh, or fact or fiction question I have here on my list. The troubles in the Middle East are political in nature and must be settled politically. A lot of people believe that. Our president believes that. Other presidents have believed that. They go over there and they try to politic themselves into peace over there. What's the problem with that statement? Well, the problem with that, as I've tried to point out in Liberty, is that almost all of the major conflicts for the last couple of thousand years have everything to do with religion and much less to do with things like water rights and so on, which do play their part. Yeah, on a simple level, I can say our interest in the Middle East has everything to do with oil. That is a legitimate interest of the West. That's why we are more hung up on what happens there than, than say, Rwanda, where mm-hmm. people killed themselves gratuitously, but there was nothing that affected uh, us in the West. And it's very sad. But yes, religion is at play big time, and particularly since the collapse of the Soviet Union. All over the world, with the collapse, what really was not just the Soviet Union, collapse of an ideology, mm-hmm. and with the economic downturn of 2008, the, uh, in essence, the discrediting of global capitalism, you're seeing the isms and ideologies of the past fading away, and we're left with tribalism and visceral religious sentiment. So are you saying that if there were oil wells pumping outside of Damascus, we'd now have American jet fighters strafing the area? I think the question answers itself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. By the way, I should tell you a joke. I heard the uh, Israeli foreign minister, um, who used to be the president, Ehud Barak, he said that uh, there's a story that when God led the Jews out of Egypt, Moses kept leading the people around and around because he kept smelling a bad smell of oil, and he finally found the one place where there was none. (laughs) Wise, wise. (laughs) Now, one final question in this here. Religious liberty is really religious tolerance. You have a problem with the word tolerance, don't you? Yes. Tolerance is good if you understand it for what it is, but as applied to religious liberty, tolerance usually means that some group is not well thought of. Mm. There's actually uh, a suspended violence against them, but there's a, uh, an allowance that, yes, for now, we will, we will deal with you, we will allow you to operate. But tolerance can soon change to intolerance, can soon change to persecution. Mm. And, and tolerance in a time of ease will almost certainly turn to something worse when times get tough. Tolerance needs to be replaced by a matter of principle where there's respect and a guarantee of of someone's religious faith, no matter how obnoxious they might be or how difficult the times might become. Hmm. You spend a lot of your time, uh, a lot of your days, and a lot of your years, of course, talking about religious liberty issues and and writing about them, studying them. Are you optimistic about the future, Lincoln Steed, uh, of what's going on in the world? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) But that doesn't mean that... Everything is lost. It just means that one day, at least in our age, and I think this is the final age of the world, we're likely to, to we're heading toward a very illiberal, mm-hmm. unfree uh, model for most of the world. Mm-hmm. But there are still uh, bright lights. And the Secretary of State, John Kerry, recently gave a, a brilliant speech in defense of religious liberty and, and laid out how the United States is going to defend this 
no matter well he didn't say no matter what the cost but he recognized there is a cost yes yes so as long as there are countries like the u.s as fallible as it is it's not a perfect country but speaking out on this there's some reason for hope and we should never give up hope even though we might know that there are rocky times ahead they'll be much worse if we don't defend this principle Hmm. I like the fact that each one of us in this country, if you're listening to this program here in the United States, I like the fact that each one of us can be involved in maintaining at least the image of religious freedom for the world. We can be that shining beacon. We can be that island of peace that people long for and try to be like. I like the fact that I can be a part of that. You can be a part of that. And listener, of course, Liberty Magazine is a part of that as well. You can go to www.libertymagazine.org, read some of the articles there. I'll listen uh, to these programs. They're all listed there, and you can listen to them and share them with your friends. Also, uh, Lincoln's blogs are all there. Wonderful things. We can play a part in, in keeping that fan of freedom blowing for the world. You not only can make a difference, you must make a difference. Mm, There's an imperative yes, here yes, today. Yes, yes, yes. You must make a difference, and that's how you can do it. www.libertymagazine.org. Lincoln, I get a kick out of talking with you each time on this program. Thank you for being with us. It's always good. And until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. Today.